Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll chat about world's invitations going out to all the various day one and day two competitors across the world and also what day one competitors for the uh, first time competitors can expect at their first ever world championships. We'll talk about the potential next season invitation structure, the tournament structure, the point structure, the things that we think have been going good so far this past year and what we hope changes moving into the new season as the new fusion ha season has technically already started but we don't know all the details just yet people have started to earn championship points and talk about a few of those things that have been going on the past couple weeks we'll of course have everyone's favorite segment guess that flavor text and then we're going to wrap up the episode by talking about the late night invitational online tournament that took place this past week some controversy around it but then also the results and how they may impact the current metagame. And then we'll close things out afterwards with our Patreon-exclusive episode. If you don't know, every single week we do an extra 30 to 40 minutes over on our Patreon. You can find the link to it in the description. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. Check it out over there if you want some additional podcasting content from myself and Azul. And... uh Let's get into it. My name is Chip Ritchie, joined here as always by my friend and co-host, Azul GG. What's up, Azul? How's your week been, buddy? Uh, it's been good. Been streaming a lot. Been streaming a lot. Been finally, like, actually, it's been like a while since I've, like, streamed a full week. Well, I don't stream Mondays, which is today, but um, full week for me is Tuesday to Sunday. Uh, and it felt good. It felt good to be back to, like, the regular, um, <clears throat> regular schedule. And I got a couple more weeks of it. I'm excited for it to just kind of just <laughs> stream make YouTube videos uh, and stay kind of on my uh, yeah. Get back into the swing of things, gym. right? Yeah. Gym slash health grind, whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, pretty good week. How about you, Chip? How was yours? It was good. I was at the beach with my family this past week. As you guys saw in last week's episode, I am back home now though. And we'll be here for a few weeks now, which is great. Get to hang out, relax, do some fun stuff with the family. And um. Yeah, overall, it was a good week at the beach with my family. Everyone loves the baby. He's like just awesome <laughs> and so fun. He was out on the beach and in the water a little bit. Didn't love the ocean water at first. He kind of warmed up to it. Was kind of not. We, we set him down on the ground and let the waves kind of roll up onto his toes. And wasn't really about that, but we got used to it after a little bit of time. Um, and yeah, you do anything fun for the 4th of July, Azul? No, just like <laughs> did literally absolutely nothing. I didn't really even <laughs> like realize really uh it didn't even really click that it was like fourth of July. I forget like what even happened. like someone said something. Oh, someone in my stream asked me if like I did any was it my stream? I don't know. Some somehow the topic came about around me of like people that like celebrate early for fourth of July. Like that, you know, they're doing fireworks the whole week. Oh yeah. Um and stuff like that. I did. Uh, there was some people setting off some fireworks in a in the middle of the street when I was uh, driving around, like in your neighborhood. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that was like I was driving, so I was like that was a little annoying. But <laughs> I'm sorry, that's like the most. That's the closest I got to doing anything Fourth of July. Based. I mean, it's never been like something that I've been like personally hung up on. Uh, same thing with like uh, Lorelai as well. So yeah, didn't really do anything. Heard the fireworks going off, but that was about it. Yeah. Yeah, we watched some fireworks at the beach uh, in North Carolina, where we were at. 
um, fireworks are actually like illegal, but in South Carolina, they're very much legal. So what a lot of people do is they just drive down to South Carolina, buy fireworks, bring them <laughs> back up, set them off. They post the police like post signs like the town of the beach as well. Post signs like don't set off fireworks. You're not allowed to. Doesn't really stop anyone though. So <laughs> they're still going off. Um, I don't know if they're legal in. I mean, they must be legal in California. I assume. I'm actually gonna look that up right now. But uh, same thing back in like Massachusetts. Fireworks aren't legal in Massachusetts, but they're legal in New Hampshire. So where yeah. everything is legal, or so everyone just goes up to New it's Hampshire. It's funny whenever then... you're driving from North Carolina to South Carolina. One of the very first things you see. As, so, like, there's a couple things about South Carolina. One, like, gas is way cheaper in South Carolina than it is in North Carolina, like, 20 to 30 cents cheaper. Um, so, like, as soon as you cross the state border, you see, like, just a bunch of gas stations, but mixed in a bunch of the gas amongst the gas stations are just tons of dedicated fireworks stores. <laughs> just <laughs> like, literally on the other side of the border. Yeah, it's literally like you you cross this imaginary line and boom, you can buy a bunch of fireworks. <laughs> and cheaper gas. And cheaper um, gas. So in California, uh, fireworks are only sold from June 28th to July 6th of each year. This actually this blurb that came up after I Googled are fireworks legal in California says dangerous fireworks are always illegal except for use by a licensed operator. Safe and sane fireworks can be sold by licensed retailers from June 28th to July 6th of each year and can be used by the public but subject to certain limitations. Sane fireworks. I've never heard that term before. <laughs> it's funny. Um, but yeah, then we did like the hot dogs, hamburgers and stuff. Typical American things, you know. Very cool. But it was fun. Um, but yeah, we can go ahead and get into the episode. Enough about America and hot dogs and hamburgers and fireworks. Let's get into <laughs> the Pokemon TCG. Uh, and talking about, first off, the world's invitations have been going out. Or I guess did go out. Everyone got their emails yeah. today, Monday, when we're recording this. And if uh, you did it, of course, when the episode goes up, what's up, Azul? I was gonna say, if you did it, you should probably go su submit a support ticket. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> get that figured Definitely out. Definitely get on that. And uh, yeah, so people who got their day one invite got an email, people who got their day two invite got an email, and also information about their stipends that they get for qualifying for day two automatically. So I think there is a time limit as well on the stipend thing, right, Azul? Yeah. So if you're someone who's a day two invitee, top 22 from Europe, top 16 from North America, or you know, all the other regions, um, make sure you fill that out so you can get your money when, when you show up to worlds or before worlds, you get it before, right? You just have to fill out yeah. the paperwork. So make sure you it's do that. Super... And you don't let that money go down the drain. Yeah. It's a super simple process now too. It's all online. It used to be able to like print out some forms and fill them out and then scan them and then mail or, and then email them back. But like now it's literally them, just, yeah. now it's just like a, those online like signing, sites or whatever so it's like super simple yeah don't forget i know some people who have forgotten in the past sometimes you can send an email and still get your stipend or travel award but sometimes uh, if you're a little bit too late you will not be getting it so yeah you have until the 15th i think so you got five days should be plenty of time to click a couple buttons uh you can do it get your <laughs> get your stipend i wonder yeah. if it's going to be actually thinking of that like i wonder how many players are going to miss maybe none but miss worlds maybe because of passport issues or just not getting their passport in time it's bound to happen to someone right yeah so many I people like, traveling like it's just bound to happen i feel like someone's gonna have a problem with the with the passports actually speaking of that i actually want to 
look this up when we are getting into this and look how many players actually got their invite in each region um we should have looked this up ahead of time yeah i'm gonna look at it now i'm looking over at europe right now i'll look at america um, and in europe 204 players they needed 250 points right yeah 250 so 204 players have their invite over in europe i'm gonna hire, i'm actually curious how many people have exactly 250 now i'm like going deeper on this one two two four <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Sixteen players have exactly two hundred and fifteen points. Um, and there was there was a couple players that were pretty close. Uh someone with two hundred and forty one points, only nine points away. Then it gets a little yeah. bit steeper after that. But those are always yeah. the heartbreakers, right? Yeah, so close. <laughs> so yeah. close. Yeah, two hundred and four European players with their invite. How many will actually show up to Worlds, though? I wonder, maybe like 120, 150? It's probably higher than... It's probably It'll be a decent right? amount. I feel like people, a lot of people, like... This is the Worlds to not miss, right? Like, even if you're someone who's ones. been playing for a long time, and it's like you get your... Especially, like, from Europe, where you get your invite, and then you don't go to Worlds because it's in America, and it's, like, more expensive to travel and stuff. It's like, I think a lot of people, even if they would normally be in that boat, they're they're going to try to make it work because this one's going to be special i think um yeah it'll be like the biggest worlds ever in terms of just the spectacle of the thing i think for sure they're going to be yeah. doing a lot 214 players from america so only 10 more than from europe got their invite even though we have Pretty so many close. more tournaments uh, but i guess that kind of like evens out right they have a lower structure but we have more tournaments right yeah i mean it sounds like the pretty good deal uh pretty good uh calculations on the points to get equal players from each region i guess there but it's not the same everywhere Looking at uh, Latin America, I believe now, unless I clicked on the wrong thing. Nope. Uh, they only have 120. 120 with the invite. Someone at 197, right at 121. <laughs> Three points away. Feels bad. Yeah, they only need 200 points over there as well, but they have way less tournaments. Way less tournaments than North America or US and Canada, whatever. It's like, it's weird. It's, it's on this, I'm looking at the, uh, 2023 Pokemon TCG World uh, World Championships qualifications, where it has US and Canada, how many points they need, Europe, how many points they need. But in the tournament guidelines book somewhere, it says North America instead of US and Canada. Oh, um, interesting. So it's like labeled different. I'm just going to call it North America. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So only 120 people in the Latin America rating zone got their. Uh, got their invite and they have less day like i said they have less year i believe they have less major tournaments so actually you know what to be honest they might not have less major tournaments than europe it's pretty close actually i have to actually look that up but now it's got me thinking about that to be honest what europe brazil more. in like latin america it's definitely less it's definitely less like europe You're has a lot right. more special events and stuff you uh latin america only got a few special events like right at the end of the year yeah. Uh, down in Australia, I think they're. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Their points were uh, it was 200 for Worlds for them, I believe, and they have exactly 50 players on the nose qualified. Yeah, definitely not expecting like a huge number to come out of, out of there for sure. Well, no, it's way cheaper to travel from Australia to Japan than it is like. Well, yeah, they still have any tournaments. <laughs> like... Oh, more point. I thought you meant like oh. people going from Australia to play at Worlds. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. I think it'll be it'll probably be the most the highest percentage represented of the the four major rating zones. And I guess there's the fifth rating zone as well with yeah. the Middle East and South Africa. And do, do they need 200 points as well? Is that right? It looks like they have 12 players if that number is 200. And I believe it is. Um, 
They need 200, yeah. So pretty, um, you know, it's going to be a diverse world. And that's just like the five rating zones that are under TPCI, right? That's not going to include, you know, Korea and Taiwan, Taiwan. and um japan obviously yeah, so like i mean there's <laughs> there's gonna be it's gonna be a massive worlds for sure and i'm super stoked to see what's gonna happen here um azul as someone who has played in so many world championships at this point one of the things we wanted to talk about was just like general tips for first timers at and before the, we get there i did oh yeah, just yeah like, one more thing sorry just out of just like curiosity i did look up how many european versus latin america tournaments there were there's seven Latin America major events. There was nine European ones, but they also had both opens. They had two the two London opens. So that's a, probably sure. a pretty big boost of points there as well. I don't know. I just thought it was curious. I wonder what like what the cup ratio. Now I'm just like you can way too deep down this hole, but I was just curious about that at the very least. Was there any way? Did you say there was another thing we wanted to mention? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I guess we kind of talked about this already, but it's like oh yeah your world's invite is really the only thing that most players have to play for in the pokemon That's tcg right unless yeah. they're like just playing because they like love playing the game showing up to their locals and just playing because they enjoy pokemon That's right a pretty big that's a majority of pokemon players right of, are just like showing up to play pokemon they don't really have any aspirations of world invites um, or maybe they would like to go for it but they they just don't have the time or can't commit to it um, and I, there are some people who definitely are in that boat who stumble into it. You know, they get a couple good regional finishes and they're like, okay, maybe I can actually do this. Um, yeah, majority of players aren't trying to get their worlds invite, but it does feel like for the for a lot of players who are going after their worlds invite, they're literally just going for their worlds invite. They're actually not even like it feels like. And maybe I'm just like wrong on this. I'm the one who like wants to like kind of bring this up. It's gonna have to like spend a whole ton, bunch of time on this, but it just feels like a lot of players who play for their worlds invite aren't playing to try and win the world championships, but are playing just to get their worlds invite, which is fine. But I think it leaves a lot of opportunity for um, so many people have already achieved their goal, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of players have already achieved their goal, which is just get their invite. But I think it leaves a lot of opportunity for other players who are trying to push for more, trying to get day two in worlds and even push to try and win the whole tournament. You know, I feel like a lot of people, you know, once they get their invite, they might not, even put that much time into prepping for worlds. I might just kind of show up with whatever their current favorite deck is that they played throughout the rest of the season or whatever, and just kind of go with it. Um, I know there are some, there definitely are some players who have a different mindset who are trying to get day two, trying to win the whole thing. But I feel like a lot of, for a lot of players, it is just kind of to get the invite, which is fine. But I just thought it was something that was, yeah. um, I never really noticed before, but I did think about it recently. I was like, yeah, I, that is kind of a lot of people's accomplishments just to get there. Yeah. And I think that's fine as well. If that's what your kind of, of goal course, was. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, it does leave a lot on the table, right? It's like, yeah, especially like you as being someone who's who is so competitive. Um, it's kind of hard to look at that and understand like why would someone be okay, <laughs> you know, having worked so hard and gotten to this point, not going hard for the world championships. And it's like you do just get so much for getting your invite, right? And that's one of the things we we're gonna talk about here um as well. So I mean, first off, opportunity to travel to a different country. Yeah. um a place that you wouldn't have maybe gotten to go otherwise and it's such a unique and different place culturally than where so many people are from that are going to be uh going to this tournament right i mean it's definitely vastly different than america um so uh and you also get so much as well just for qualifying as far as the competitor kit right so if you don't know 
when you get your invitation to the world championships and you show up, you check in, you register, you get given at check-in your competitor kit. It's going to have your badge for the weekend, but it's going to have just a ton of other world's exclusive swag and items and a lot of stuff that is exclusive as well to competitors that it'll say competitor on it. So the literal only way to get some of this merchandise and stuff is by qualifying for the world championships. So, um, there'll be a ton of unique things in there, but there th that stuff is also like super valuable. And there are tons of people, um, you know, who are going to cherish these things, especially it's your first worlds, right? It's like reasonable to like want to hang on to these things, but so many other people like have been using the expected worlds bag to help pay for their cost of getting to worlds, right? Like yeah. I've seen people pre-selling items from their bag, uh, the pack of champions festivals or whatever the world's promo is going to be. We don't know what it's going to be, but it's probably going to be champions festival, right? It'll <laughs> um, be worth more if it isn't, I think for sure. Right. Like if it's also not champions festival, it depends on what it does probably. But honestly, like the I majority guess, of people maybe. who buy champions festivals don't care what the card does. They just care that it's the yeah, yeah. world. That's what I'm saying. That's not exactly what I mean. Like, I think it's like, a, it'd be a collectors would, it would be more highly sought off by collectors for sure. Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, you'll get a backpack that'll be an exclusive, like there'll be a backpack at the store, but then the one that competitors get is usually different from the one that's at the store. Right. So there'll be exclusive stuff there. The play mat is going to say competitor on it usually. And that's different from the one that's in the store at the world's Pokemon center. So those things all carry like a decent amount of value, to be honest. Um, Azul, what have you done over the years with your world's competitor kits? um a couple of them i have i have i see sold. a few backpacks hanging up there behind you <laughs> yeah i have a couple of them one of them i've sold regrettably to be honest I, I the thing that i wish i kind of held on to was like the champions festivals that's kind of it just the packs of seal champions festivals that's kind of like the only thing that i really wish i had held on to the other stuff doesn't mean as much to me um so that's kind of it i mean yeah I've, I, I have a lot of this stuff in a box in the garage um, or in a closet somewhere here. Mm -hmm. um, and then I do have some of the backpacks up behind me right here. Two of them, or one of them is my top 32 backpack from 2018. And then the other three are just the competitor bags you get for just uh, just showing up and competing. So um, I felt onto like most of this stuff. Um, but yeah, a lot of people do try and sell them uh, and get rid of the stuff. And I guess like the, the big thing this year has been the <laughs> has been the spectator badges which i actually don't know how much people are selling them for um but yeah everyone's trying to sell their their spectator badges because you get two this is the first time you've also gotten two spectator badges mm -hmm. in your maybe juniors and seniors have gotten two in the past i actually don't know but masters have only ever gotten one spectator badge with their competitor kit now they're giving out two um, and most people, it seems like, are trying to sell both of them. It seems like not many people are even holding on to one, if any of them, and everyone's trying to sell them. Uh, and there was like a little bit of a discussion coming up about it a little while ago, where it's like, is this allowed? Uh, and we see Nico even put out a tweet like the other day or something was basically asking, do we have confirmation if it's okay to sell your spectator badges? <laughs> um, and I actually replied to it and I was like, well, if you're not, then we're gonna have to ban like half the competitors because everyone's uh, selling them. Yeah, <laughs> everyone is selling them. Yeah, I mean, and it feels a little weird as well for this one because um, spectator space does feel like it's pretty limited. Um, it's gonna be packed for sure, bro. It's gonna be packed, and I think there. I mean, it's gonna be massive. Like, there's there are going to be way more spectator badges. Like, 
they're, they're, they have allotted for more spectators than probably ever before, I would guess. Oh, yeah, for sure. But even still, there's going to be people outside the venue trying to get badges and stuff like that. Didn't you say I wasn't at London last year, but didn't you say there were people outside of London like trying to buy badges or I like think so? Yeah, I don't remember. Did I say that? Uh, you Maybe. did, I think. Yeah. If, if I did, then it probably happened. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> saying that, but but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's going to be pretty insane. There'll probably be people outside. I mean, it, hopefully it doesn't get annoying. There was it was annoying. The one thing that was annoying at London was people trying to buy the Champions Festivals from people. Like people were like getting up in people's faces, being like, "Yo, you're trying to sell that? You're trying to sell that?" There'd be another person after them. It's like, bro, chill out. So that's annoying. Um, I feel like there'll probably be something similar i don't know i mean i feel like i don't know i guess i don't know culturally what kind of that kind of stuff like looks like over in japan though to be honest because that's going to be the main the main people who don't have a spectator badge or a competitor badge will be people from japan because that's a local player that's a local player base um but yeah i think it's going to be i'm honestly probably not going to be a i'm probably not going to enjoy the experience of worlds too much personally i'll enjoy hopefully I, i enjoy japan but worlds itself like i'm not a big fan of like have you ever been to something like a PAX East or PAX West before? It's just like super crowded. It's hard to do anything. Um, and that's how it kind of felt like NAIC was this year, just super crowded, just like, and I feel like Worlds is going to be the exact same way. Even like with the the Pokemon Center at NAIC, like I had a reserved spot like pretty late. Like I had a reserved spot Friday, you know, Saturday, 6 30, but you go in there, there's just nothing available in the Pokemon Center. All the good stuff's gone. But I knew someone who went like in Saturday morning and nothing good was there. I heard that someone was able to like buy most of the mats and deck boxes on the first day as well. Like someone just didn't know that it was supposed to be limited to one. Um, so it's just gonna like the, the, I'm not a big fan of those kind of experiences, just like the overcrowded, packed convention type style things. And I, I have said before on the podcast though that I think it is good that Pokemon tournaments are turning into more of an experience and less of just a tournament. I do think it's good overall for the growth of the game, but me personally, I'm not a big fan of the those kind of experiences myself, though. Yeah, you can understand that it's good for the game, but it's not like the way you prefer to experience it. Yeah, I'll be miserable, but it's for the best of the <laughs> <laughs> for the best of the community. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, if you're a first time Worlds competitor and you're thinking about like, okay, I'm gonna get this bag that's worth a lot of money. What should I do with it? Uh, should I sell it? And I think that it's just definitely like a case by case basis. I really wish that I had more. I, I sold most of the stuff from my yeah. my first year Worlds competitor kit. I kept like the deck box, uh, which I still use to this day. I still use uh, I, I every year I've kept the double deck box and I've always used those double deck boxes. I just prefer carrying stuff around like that. Um So I but I like wish maybe I'd kept the play mats. But then at the same time, it's like. I probably wouldn't use the playmat, so I can understand yeah. why I sold that. I did sell the Champions Festivals, and now, like, looking at what they were worth <laughs> then and what they're worth now, I definitely wish I held on to them. And then also, yeah. it's like a card that could be considered playable. So it, I think it just kind of depends. Obviously, if you're in a situation where you need to sell this stuff to help pay for your travel or to add to your experience while you're in Japan, yeah. I think it makes sense, right? And I think, yeah. like, probably the happy medium and this is what the majority of people will do is they'll pick out a couple of things that they personally want uh and things that will help them you know be sentimental and remember their first world championships and then probably get rid of the rest of the stuff and i think that's a totally fine way to do it um yeah definitely a couple yeah definitely a couple different ways to look at it be like if you need the money or you want the extra money to like have a better time in japan while you're there yeah go ahead and just sell everything especially if like sentimentally doesn't mean that much to more much to you or just take out what you want to keep um 
or and then or even you know if you don't care about it being the competitor stuff versus the other stuff you know go to the pokemon center and hope that not everything's gone and you know get you know just the standard event yeah. mat or whatever um if you're someone who's like thinking long like investment uh side of things i think the things to keep around for that would be like the mat the deck box the tropical beat uh the champions festivals would well, to be honest champions festivals are going for so much right now selling them right now is probably if you're not cared about it all it's sentimental i don't know how much holding them is actually going to increase the value over like the next you know five ten years if we're talking like inve investment point of view but i think like the mat in the deck box if you're talking investment point of view would be worth keeping but like all the other like little trinket stuff you know it's hard to predict like the i would say maybe something like the the more unique items like the guitar picks that we got from knoxville would maybe be worth holding on nashville, to but like yeah. nashville but like the backpack I would like if you're gonna if you if this might be the best time to try and sell it because you'll there'll be people who want it immediately like on site and this might be the most you'll get for it um you know and it's not something you have to kind of lug around but like the deck yeah. box and mat those like two specifically i think those like carry long-term value always and they're probably the most usable things as well yeah. to help commemorate your first worlds right yeah, like i said yeah. i still use my deck box um and yeah what you said too about the like as soon as worlds happens leaves. as soon as people get their items that is going to be like the peak most interested number of people there will ever be in those items yeah. right and as people start to buy them there's going to be less people in the market for those things because they've already got it right if someone collects you know all the world's play mats and they buy a competitor play mat from someone they don't need to buy one anymore they're not going to be interested now, yeah. even if the price would go up on them, the amount yeah. of work you'd have to do to find a buyer is not worth probably the Way increase in, in the value. Future, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're talking about something that you might put on, like theoretically. So, like, out of these, are, this is just making up numbers, right? Off the top yeah. of my head. But let's say the playmat's worth 150 bucks. You can sell the playmat to someone outside the venue or a store in Japan or something for 150 bucks right now and take that, put it in your pocket, move on. Um, but in five years maybe that playmat's worth 250 bucks or even 300 let's say it doubles in value 300 you're gonna take go it to up. a it store in japan or a store wherever you might not be in japan again you're gonna take it to a store they're <laughs> probably still not in gonna japan? be as interested in it because it's a high dollar item that way less people are interested in it's gonna take a yeah. long time to move and if you're trying to sell it yourself on ebay or something take it from someone who has over the years sold tons of stuff on ebay like that's the type of thing that you'll put up there you'll put a price on it and it might sit there for six months before someone wants to buy it yeah oh also the plush that's another thing that i would recommend keeping that's kind of a fun thing to like hang on to that commemorates uh commemorates the thing i've got my world's plushes they're up there somewhere i think they're on the top shelf hidden but those aren't a competitor exclusive right those are always just they are a, not just a, yeah. yeah there's just a world's plush Feature. I guess like at London there was two because there was the Roserade as well. Did you there was one? two in uh DC as well in 2019. There was a Piplup. Oh, was there? Yeah, for or and yeah. I think there might have been an Eevee too. I think there actually might have been three that year. Yeah. I never go to the I usually don't ever go to the Pokemon Center. So guys, I just don't like that. I'm not like there's some stuff that's cool that I would like to get. Like the I think the dice were really cool this last year at London. So I picked up myself like a set of the dice. But in general, yeah, there's nothing too much that i'm interested in so they, the 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 lines and the weight and all that stuff yeah i'd rather just go take a walk outside or something go take a nap so <laughs> another thing for first time world's competitors we can maybe talk about a little bit is just like expectations going in right so yeah. <clears throat> you know if you're someone who you're playing in your first ever worlds this is your first real season competing you show up to day one tons of players there you know you have to go x and two to make it into day two 
Uh, probably if it's six rounds, you're going to need to go four to. It's probably going to be seven rounds, though, right? So you're going to need to go be eight. We might, it, it was might eight last eight. time. It was eight at what's it called, right? Yeah, but that was way bigger than normal. There was definitely more invitees because I they. Feel like it's pretty big this time around. I don't, the thing is, we just don't know how many players from Japan are playing. I think that's, that's like a true, big thing. Yeah. We just have no clue. And obviously, like we mentioned the numbers from all the other TPCI regions, but we have like that. You going to get into Japan is expensive and stuff for most of the most of the regions. Um, it's probably still pretty, you know, to be honest, like Australia is like the closest, uh, but it's probably still pretty expensive to get out of Australia still to Japan, I would imagine. Yeah, probably. But, so, yeah, yeah I mean, I would guess seven rounds would be my prediction, um, but it yeah, definitely seven. could be up to the eight again. So, like, I mean, if you need to go wins. five and two to make it into day two, um, you um, like what what sitting down for round one, like, you know. It, what what should someone expect like uh going into the tournament and i guess it kind of depends on what your mentality was going in right like if you if you're someone who's just happy to be there that you got your invite or do you have your eyes set on something greater i would always have my eyes set on something greater, especially because i think there is a lot of people who are just like oh i got my world's invite i'm happy to be here i'm just kind of showing up you can almost um, take advantage of that right yeah i feel like there is a lot of room to take advantage i don't think day one of worlds is that I think it's oh, it's overestimated how like the level of of uh, I don't want to like yeah like the the how hard it is to get through day one of world. I think it's a little bit overestimated like the the level of overall talent there is in day one. Like it it is still hard. It's a one of the it's probably this it is the hardest world uh, the tournament of the year right. But I think in day one because there's a lot of players who are just kind of showing up didn't put that much time or effort in because they're you know they're here to go to worlds right. They got their invite, show up, have the world's experience, you know play in the or you know check out everything else there is to do especially because like it is in japan so a lot of people are trying to take a little bit of extra time there i'm sure and like sightsee and all that stuff um but yeah i don't think i think like but i think that's what a lot of people think right like they get another thing that they add to that is like they they get their world's invite and they're just like oh everyone all the best players in the world and that is true not everyone has a world's invite not everyone can play in this tournament so people almost put that as like a reason to not care as much about doing well at Worlds. I feel like it's like, oh, all the best players in the world are here. Everyone, everyone's Worlds invite. Like I'm never, like they're all better than me. I'm never going to make it through anyway. So like I'm not going to care too much about the event or like put as much pressure on myself to do well. But I think you should still treat it like any other tournament. I think you should treat it as if, like I'm sure for a lot of people, who you know they got their invite at the last regional they went to or at NAIC, you should treat it like the same as you would have treated that event. You're like, all right, I'm going all out here at NAIC. I need 50 points to get my Worlds invite. Time to a do my best to get that top 256 or 512, whatever. You should treat it the exact same way and be like, all right, day one of Worlds, I'm going all out. I'm doing the best that I can. Get those five wins, get to day two of Worlds. All right, once I'm in day two of Worlds, my goal is to top eight Worlds, get to top eight of Worlds. All right, I'm in top eight of Worlds. All right, I'm going to play for the win to try and get to win the World Championships. Like, you should still treat it like, um, you know, treat it like that. But yeah, it feels like when I talk to a lot of people, um, who it is maybe the first time they get the Worlds invite or, you know, maybe they got the Worlds invite before. Yeah, I think it is a little bit overblown how how difficult it is at worlds like, like i said it's still the hardest event it's still the hardest event but you're still just playing pokemon at the end of the day you're still just playing pokemon like nothing changes on your side of the field um your opponent might be a little bit better but it doesn't mean you can't put the extra preparation into be at their level or or surpass them um on the actual day of the tournament so i think yeah i think more people should have that kind of not like i guess yeah killer or cutthroat mindset that they usually have throughout the rest of the season when they're trying to get their points to get their invite yeah yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like an opportunity to, you know, it's it's what you've worked hard for, right? It feels silly to just, like, show up and be content almost. Um, yeah. I mean, there's nothing, like, super wrong with it, but we're just saying, like, it feels like you've worked so hard, try to make something else happen. 
Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's how I feel. I mean, as a competitor, a super competitive person, that's how I feel. I know like a lot of people are a little bit um not quite as uh as high on the or as far on the competitive spectrum as I am, right? A little bit more people, a little bit more lax about it. But yeah, still I think put the extra put in the time, put in the effort, try and do your best for sure. Try and do your try and do your best. <clears throat> so Worlds will obviously be the last tournament of the current 2023 season, but the 2024 season is actually already underway. As soon as NAIC was over, starting that Monday, 2024, Pokemon TCG already kicked off. League Cups, League Challenges are already into full swing. Players are earning points. We don't know what for just yet. <laughs> we don't have the information about how many points you need from each region to get to your world's invitation. Um, we don't have any information about the best finish limits for each type of tournament. We'll talk a little bit more about the thoughts on that here in just a minute, but Cups and challenges are already underway. People are already earning those championship points. And it looks like the point structures are the same. People are getting 50 points when they win a league cup. People are getting 15 points when they win a league challenge. Is this just a sign as all well that the structure is going to be very similar to what it has been the last few years? I mean, I think the one thing that people like bring up some sometimes is that like league cups maybe specifically give too many points but i don't know if that like it's just like a argument of like how easy should it be to get your world's invite or how difficult should it be to get your world's invite i guess which i don't know i think like the the current rate of the current effort put in to get a world's invite in pokemon i think it's fine for what pokemon is um but so yeah cups and challenges seem the same we haven't heard anything about regionals yet so they could still make an adjustment to that i think a lot of people want to see the points given out at regionals be a little bit higher mm -hmm. uh also people have talked about like a kicker point where you would increase the amount of points that you'd get for regionals with more than like a thousand players or something like instead of getting 200 points if you win a regional or a special event you'd get you know i don't know 300 250 if it has like over a thousand players but that'd be really weird with the bfl um the best finish limit so anyone who doesn't know what bfl is bfl stands for best finish limit which means your best finishes of a certain kind of uh tournament throughout a year so the BFL best finish limit for regionals last season was six. So even if you won seven regionals last season, you'd only get points from six of them, which I think you'd probably be content with, to be honest. But um, you would miss out on 200 points that you got from that seventh regional you won. So that's what BFL means. And in the past, like last season, BFL for regionals was six and BFL for cups and challenges was two because we only had one season of cups and challenges yeah, right two per quarter two per well, how many quarters did we have of cups and challenges last four wait we had cups and challenges for four quarters last season? no 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 this season? no sorry i thought you meant in past seasons not like <laughs> no just how many years? last season this My season bad. we just had we just had yeah. one quarter right one quarter yeah so in the past it has either been uh best finish limit of two per quarter which is the period of time between international championships um best finish limit of two for cups and challenges or it has been a total of eight um, throughout the whole season. So you could win yeah. eight cups in the first quarter, and then you would get 200 uh, or 400 points towards your invite. Uh, but you, even if you won a cup in quarter two, those points would not count towards your invite. So, um, yeah. and what we've seen so far, we saw this tweet from uh, Stefan is that someone over in France, I believe has placed at three league cups so far, and they've received points for all three league cups. So it's looking like, it's not a two per quarter structure like we've seen sometimes or like we kind of just had, but we only had one quarter of cups and it's probably going to be an eight over the whole season. Probably. Yeah. 
So it was like 2017 to 2019. I'm pretty sure the first few seasons of this type of structure with the regionals and the cash and the league cups and challenges and all when, once they moved away from city championships and all that, um, it was a best finish limit of two per quarter. You had to. So in the first quarter, if you won two cups, that was your best finish limit. If you won a third, it did not carry over, but uh, they changed that in the 2019 to 2020 season where you could earn all eight at the start. And so it seems like that might be what it is. It's just eight best finish limit through the year, which I think is overall like a good thing, right? People. Yeah, I think it's fine. Yeah. uh, You know, some people might be able to play more Pokemon during the winter time than they are during the springtime, right? Just depending on what they have going on outside of Pokemon in their life. Um, so if they can get out to more cups and challenges in one time of year, it makes sense that they can earn those points and try to have that rack up for them towards the end of the season. Now, where the problem was for the 2019 to 2020 season was that, so that was, I think overall, like a positive change. People were a fan of that whenever they changed it from just two per quarter to eight for the year. Um, what the, the problem became was for the stipend races between each international championship. So for those who don't know, for each quarter, the top X amount of players from each region at the end of that quarter get a stipend or travel award to the next international championship. Now, I think that this was probably just a mistake that never got fixed. <laughs> I, I have to think this was not necessarily intentional, but basically what happened in the 2019 to 2020 season that did not finish due to COVID, obviously, we was eventually. that it took a little while. Three year season. Yeah, the three year season. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and half the, the, the when we came back, obviously, we didn't have cups and challenges, COVID so it was season. not a, a point of discussion for anyone. What happened at the start of the season was that players were earning points for each quarter that we're counting towards their stipend, right? So quarter one, people could earn 400 points theoretically from cups and challenge 400 from uh, cups and even more from challenges that would count towards the stipend. And then in the next quarter, they could earn another 400 from cups if they won eight more league cups, right? So it's not adding to their total for the season, but it's adding to their total for that quarter, which adds to the stipend. So it just created this, ridiculous grind for the top level (laughs) players who were like um it just kind of made it so instead of seeing just like your most consistent and best finishers at the highest level of the game it was a mix of the best finishers and highest placers and then also people who just could go to a lot of league cups and challenges and earned decent points at each of these right i mean it still ended up being mostly top level competitors consistently that you would see today were the ones who are still earning the uh travel awards and stipends famously uh jesse parker was like uh it was so funny i remember at laic that year um and jesse's cool so it's not like a rag on jesse or anything um but laic that year jesse was competing for the stipend for the whatever ic was after that and there was like uh like there was like four yeah four other of like the you know travel everywhere competitors it was like pram will jenkins uh two other players who i don't remember who were like all playing in the league cup because they they missed day two at laic and they're playing in the league cup to compete against jesse parker who was playing league cups over in uh america uh, america somewhere (laughs) it was just it was kind of just a funny situation that was going down yeah it did allow i think most of the time it was still the top level competitors were still the ones consistently getting the stipends and travelers which i think you'll always see you know 
uh, for sure. The be- like, and that's a good thing to see. Like the the players who are perceived to be the best, some of the best players in the game, are still the ones who are consistently being able to place well at tournaments and um, you know walk away with the stipends and the travel awards. Is a good sign that the game is still in a healthy spot competitive wise. Um, but it was definitely uh, quite a quite an interesting structure that year when you could go to every quarter all these top players were going to trying to go to trying to max out their eight cups and eight challenges every single quarter throughout, you know, it's just like the two, it was only a half season, but it was still pretty ridiculous. And hopefully this is not an indication. Um, Stefan's tweet and what, what happened with that player, how they already have three finishes. This is not an indication that four stipends and uh, stipends and travel awards. Hopefully that's still limited in some way. To not eight each quarter because i mean i mean i'm not going to be doing that grind this year i'm not going to any local tournament so i'm not gonna have to worry about it but i would feel a little bit for my uh fellow grinders out there i do think cups and challenges there is also a talking point around should cups and challenges even ta- count towards uh day the day to invite or uh travel stipends, awards and stipends yeah. and i think they should i think cups and challenges should count towards that but to a, like a little bit more of a limited effect not quite i think eight. when it was two per quarter it was fine right yeah, like yeah, and i think, I think was, most but I do remember at the time, like a lot of the top players were kind of annoyed by it, right? Because they, they it, still it very be rarely is going to have an impact because, you know, the top. So let's say let's take the top 25 players in the game in North America, right? So top, they're competing for the top 25 players are competing for 16 spots to get a stipend to the next IC, right? All 25 of those players are definitely good enough to go win two league cups and win two league challenges, right? Each so quarter, the, yeah. the theory is, is that it shouldn't really have much of an impact because they're probably going to go get those points anyway. So everyone's on the same playing field. If everyone earns 130 points or everyone earns zero points, it makes no difference. Right. Yeah. It just, it does open up some opportunities for like, you know, some players who go to like, cause when we're talking about those kind of players or someone like me who goes to like, I don't know how many regionals do I go to a quarter, four or five sometimes like, yeah. and the IC, like I, uh, it, it does open the opportunity for someone who can only go to like two regionals, but maybe they win one of the regionals and then they maybe get top, I don't know, 32 at the other regional. And then now they can get a couple challenging cup points on top of that. And now all of a sudden they can get the stipend and now they can go to OCIC or LAIC or whatever it might be now that they're getting the stipend or the travel award. So that's why I still think it should exist because it does open those opportunities for people who don't have luxury of traveling to so many major tournaments. Um, so I think it should stick around, but I, yeah, I think it should just be capped at two because eight is just kind of uh, ridiculous. And actually, it's kind of funny. There was another tweet from, uh, I believe, Maddie B, who tweeted that currently, I don't know if it's cups and challenges or just cups or just challenges, is currently in the unlimited category for the best finish limit, which is usually where only ICs sit because there's only four ICs. So they could say best limit, best limited, best finish limit of four, or they could just say unlimited. Currently, cups and challenges are in the unlimited category. I'm sure it's there because they just haven't released they haven't released the info yet, so they don't want the info to leak of what the season structure will be like yet. But I would assume they know at this point, so why don't they just tell us? I guess could be a thing as well, or just like let it leak through these means, and then it let just let that one little bit of information be out there. It wouldn't be like a big deal. I feel like. Yeah, hopefully that information is coming soon. They typically do release the season information before Worlds, but I mean, for London last year, wasn't it like literally? a week before worlds or was it even right. at worlds i think we talked about this a couple weeks ago where yeah, you they, were like they announced your the baltimore flight yeah, yeah they announced the new season locations and tournaments at worlds 
before worlds happened i think i don't even remember but they didn't announce the structure we didn't know about the structure until later like how many yeah yeah. we didn't know until like after baltimore or the first couple regionals what how many points you needed for worlds and what the rest of the structure even looked like um until a little bit afterwards. No, i think we did find out before baltimore but i think it was like the week of baltimore. oh yeah it might have been yeah, sure the, what it was yeah, yeah. That, that, that might have been it, yeah. And then we, but we didn't know about Cups and Challenges until we didn't think Cups and Challenges were going to come back. And then they, all, yeah. they, all of a sudden they came back in quarter four. So, um, so yeah, everything was a little bit late, but they don't really have the they don't really have the excuse of trying to get back into the swing of things and getting over COVID. So hopefully we get things a little bit more at a reasonable pace and ahead of time this year. And so far they've done a good job with the announcement at NAIC of the first couple major events happening going into the new season. So they've done a good job so far. Um, but definitely some more information needs to be put out there. It'd be nice to know the rest of the stuff going on. I'm sure they they either know it for sure or just like bare, like just finalizing a couple numbers, right? That has to be what's happening. Yeah. For sure. Hopefully we're already so. playing for points in the next season. I feel like we should have the information if we're playing for those points right now. Right? I think like people, that's fair, yeah. Like as soon as you can play for points for the new season, we should know the full structure of the new season. Yeah. Or delay when we can play for the points. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think it would be good in the future if the information for the next season comes out NAIC. like Monday after NAIC or yeah. like they announce it in the closing ceremony or like they at least yeah. make it. Yeah, I think Monday after NAIC, just put the information out there. Boom. The next season is underway. Yeah, that'd be dope. Um, yeah, it probably so won't remain under things. it probably won't remain under unlimited. I just want to say that because I mean, yeah. mention that because that would be ridiculous. You could just get you could just get your invite from challenges. You could just go to like a you know fifty challenges, yeah. rack the points. Here we go. <laughs> Honestly, it would be so sick though. And if they left it as unlimited, I hope someone out there gets their invite from just challenges, not yeah. even cups, just just challenges. Yeah, there's probably someone out there. I feel like someone like like james arnold would be up to like the task could look at that and be like okay i could i'm up for the challenge of just doing challenges just for the invite so dude i would do that i'm i'm down <laughs> all right yeah you're in there chip let's get it you're, you're casting most of the regional so you're not getting any points there you got to make up yeah. for it with your challenge challenge yep. finish <laughs> exactly exactly i have I'm thought chip. about like with a full season of cups and challenges even if i'm working most of the regionals like I might be able to try to still push for an invite if if I just play like a couple regionals and have finishes. Yeah. But then like if I win six to eight league cups and win a decent amount of challenges, like I could probably get pretty close if it's like if we think the number is going to be around five hundred. Yeah, and that's what we want to talk about next. What do you think? Like, what like it, it, most recently in the years that we've had like kind of a similar, you know, twenty seventeen to twenty twenty, it's been what five hundred to five fifty, right? Has been the number we've had. Yeah, I think it one was year 550. It was 550 one year, which just feels like such a weird number, right? Winnie like, and Icy didn't get your invite that year. Yeah, that's just weird. <laughs> Winnie and Icy should definitely just get you at least get you your invite for sure. <laughs> and I don't think it would be terrible if winning a thousand person regionals got you your invite as well. So, I mean, we, let's talk about things that we would like to see changed the, in the structure, I guess, right? Like, do you think that do you think the base number needs to change? Like it should invite just probably be 500 points. I mean, that seems fine to me if everything else is pretty much equal. Yeah, I think that it just needs to be. I, I think overall, like where we're at with the structure right. for the most part is like pretty good. I like the fact that there's local tournaments that can count towards your world's invite. I like the fact that there's these regionals. I like for the grinders that the top 16 thing is such a, um, you know, thing to chase after with the stipends and all that stuff. I think like that is probably the thing that has the most room to be tweaked because I know it can be a pretty stressful, like 
grind but also at the same time like shouldn't it be a little like should it not be yeah. like pretty difficult to make top 16 quarter after quarter right yeah no it definitely should i think it shouldn't be easy i think you like there's definitely argue with how much the game has grown there's definitely an argument to like maybe down to top 32 should get day two invites maybe they don't all get the stipend but maybe top 32 in north america should get day two invite um i guess is a, it maybe it someone's still gotta play a in day bit... one though man you know <laughs> oh yeah of course but there's but the game is growing so much like you know um and i i don't know i i would still i'd be curious to know what the reason is that europe still has top 22 uh a2 invites whereas north america still only has 16 i think it's a carryover from what the what it used to be like back when like with the nationals and stuff i don't know though yeah that's the theory i've always heard so there used to be 11 european national championships and first and second place at every national championship got an invite a day to invite to the world championships and so when they changed this structure when they got rid of nationals moved to internationals um they just made it top 22 and i mean, we looked at the numbers right there's 204 players qualified from europe 22 players get a day two invite there's 214 players from america that have qualified america and canada um but only north top america. 16 gets a day two invite so where's our, it does where's feel our... like something's a little off there and they we know that they've been willing to balance those numbers a little bit right they they added more spots to latin america last season went from yeah. eight to 12 but they did take away spots Wait, didn't they go from, from 16 australia to huh Wait, did they add to latin america i thought they took away so they added to latin america oh, latin america I used to only be top to eight oh okay it used okay. to only be yeah, top eight it became top 12 but then they took away from australia australia used to be top eight now it's only top four they did take away some uh countries from their rating zone they so. did they took yeah. away some countries from the rating zone i think and australia they also added the occupied... new rating zone of the middle east and south africa yeah but australia probably occupied the full top eight anyways right uh not like necessarily even... there was a couple players from like taiwan and stuff we're pushing into the top They're eight like in, in there yeah oh, okay okay um was say yeah we should at least get if we have more people with world's invites than europe we should get 23 day two players <laughs> we need to uh, give us the advantage here um but yeah i think there, there's definitely a discussion around potentially more but yeah i think i think me and you both probably agree like 500 500 ish points the way the tournaments pre-covid the two three years in a row there where it was 500 to 550 points it seemed like that was like a reasonable number to have to get for your invite um, i think the heart outside of the elo years the hardest year to get your invite was the dc year back when there wasn't as many tournaments to go to for points point there was less points and it was still like 500 points that was the hardest year to get your world's invite besides the elo years um but i think i think the current rate at which people have to put an effort to get their invite and the current rate of invitees that turn up come the world championships i think we're at a good spot with like that 500 point threshold if, if everything stays equal the one thing to do it to mention though with regionals gets getting so much larger Technically, it's harder to earn points at regionals now, right? Because, you know, if a thousand players show up compared to 200, you had a way higher shot of getting top 32, top 64, right? So technically, getting your invite is harder um, as opposed to pre-COVID, right? Yeah, and I'm sure these are all the discussions that they're having as well when they're thinking about the numbers and stuff like that. Um, and that might be what makes like 500 points for North America, 250 or 300 for um, Europe. I mean, the fact that there are more players, but there's more tournaments happening um, might make it so that well, they feel we have the same okay amount of regionals. We've had 15 regionals for a while in like North America specifically. Sure. Just using that. So like, yeah, there's, there's more European the and Latin America happening, so but it's more, I feel like it's becoming more of a thing where people are going to more, right? True. But that does, that does theoretically make like 
the invite is harder still then, right? The invite, you have to go to those extra yeah. regionals to get your invite. Um, and it, with the like BFL of like six, the... right? I mean, really the only people going to every regional are the people What was who the are... BFL before? It was, was eight though? one year, I'm pretty sure, for regionals. Yeah, actually, I can look that up right now, can't I, on my... Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was eight before. Also, just a side note, we were talking about Australia having eight in the past and then four this year. I actually looked back at 2018 Worlds. And of the top eight players who got day two invites, three were from Singapore and one okay. was from Malaysia. So that's I was four say one was from Australia. Eight. I was like, I was just completely wrong. And then four were from Australia. Four were from Australia. Yeah. <laughs> and then 2019, okay, so... it was similar. It was three from outside of Australia. Okay, so it's pretty. It's actually the four. Then it's pretty. It's almost equal to what it was previous. They didn't yeah. gain or lose anything for the most part. What was yeah. I just looking up? Where I was? Oh, the BFL finished from, let's say 20... 2018. What was it? What was it in 2020? Six. So look at the 2020 year, right? Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Um, no. Well, no, no. Six, yeah. <laughs> in 2020. Okay, yeah. Six. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that's like a similar structure to. Yeah, but let me look up. Uh, what we had last. Let's year. look up. Well, no, 2019 isn't a thing, right? I 2019 is a thing. Right. That's the well, year yeah, Henry but... one. Oh yeah, so I can look up 2019 then. Yes. Look up 2019 then. Hold up. 2019, I can look well, yeah, For some reason, I thought 2019 was... First. It was a best finish limit of eight. Eight. Okay, so it has been eight in the... Why do you think they did six this year? Because that's did what they, they did in 2020. 2020 slash 2022. Like, that's what they, they moved before COVID to this structure of six, BFL. They moved nope, just it. kidding. It was eight. It was eight in 2020. <laughs> okay, so just... Well, let's not. Count oh wait, no, no, the... no. Sorry, that was challenges. I was, I'm literally looking at challenges. <laughs> am I trolling? I am. Where are my regionals? I'm going to 2017. I'm, I'm seeing what 2017 has to say. Let's see. Back in 2017, the regional was best six. Regional was best six in 2020. Dude, we're derailing here. We need. Yeah, but to, 2020, like, 2020 is 2022. Yes. So they're so both six. six. Yeah. But it was six each time. It was six in 2020. So it was 12. No, I don't think so. I think it I carried think so. over. I'm oh, sure it, carried it carried over. over. Yeah. Okay, so they went to so what they did is they went to best finish limit of six for regionals, but you could it was uh, best finish limit in the year for cups and challenges. So it did yeah. make a little more flexibility for your cups and challenge points, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking back. 2017 best of eight, or yeah, best finish limit of eight. 20, 2018 best finish limit of eight. So back then it was best of uh, best finish limit of eight. I mean, so I mean to be honest, getting your invite has gotten harder, right? The regionals are bigger. So it's harder to get points at regionals. Uh, best there's a limit of six instead of eight now. But if you're going to eight regionals, I feel like most people who are going to eight regionals, you're either the grinders or if you're just someone who's trying to get invited, if you end up at eight regionals, you'll probably still walk away with your invite. Because I feel like most people, um, you know, who are just pushing for just the invite, probably just around that 350 mark. Well, this, yo, wait, this year for invite, though, was only 350 points. It's not 500. I just realized that. But it was 500 at the start of the year. They lowered it. And then they realized, well, yeah, I wonder. I wonder because if we because... didn't have cups and challenges for yeah. the whole year. I wonder if that was like if they planned to have cups and challenges sooner, and that's why they put out the 500 number. And then when they realized it wasn't happening until like quarter four, they're like, "All right, we got to bring it back in a little bit." Yeah. Okay, so with cups and challenges year round, 500 still seems pretty reasonable, even with a best finish limit of six. I feel like most people aren't even hitting that number, but still walking away with their invite. Like most people, like five, six is probably the number most people are ending up at, um, in general. Um, so yeah. Um, but other things I guess like talk about would be just like points in general at regionals like i brought up like if they did do a kicker so like if at the kickers would be weird because then it would mess up your best finish limit a little bit right it would like mess with the best finish limit so i think just to keep things simple i think they should across the board keep 
uh, there shouldn't be a kicker that increases the amount of points you get. There should still be the kickers that increase the amount of people who get points. Um, you know, down to two fifty six, five twelve, whatever. But I feel like just in general, regionals should probably be given more points. And you probably just tie special events. Go ahead and just throw special events in there as well. Like the winner of a regional or special event should at least be getting three hundred points. But I guess the other question should be: Should you just get your worlds invite if you just win a major tournament? Yeah, and that begs the question as well as like, should there be other paths to getting a world's invite besides just championship points, right? Like, could yeah. there be tournament qualifiers where it's like, if you can get championship points, but also if you win a regionals, you just get an invite. Or yeah. you can qualify via championship points, but also if you win this online event, you get your world's invite. Which, if there was a good online game, that would be sick, but there's not a good <laughs> online game, so we can't have anything nice. I feel like some way to earn championship points through some kind of ranked ladder on an online game would be good. I don't know if like getting your invite fully, but yeah, like getting some kind of, cause I think that would just like get a lot of people interested as well. Like you, well, you I get... think it would be cool if there was like a separate online circuit almost right where you could, yeah. but it, it wouldn't be for a bunch of people. Maybe it's just like, there's four tournaments throughout the year. And then the top, like four people from each of these tournaments gets an invite to a day okay. one invite, something like that. Yeah, that would be cool too. I could be down. With, I'd be down with that to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think some baseline of championship points would be cool though. Like if you get top hundred on the ladder in a month, you get ten championship points. I think that yeah. gets a little sticky though, like roping all of that into one thing. Because at the end of the you day, it is a paper card game, right? So yeah, like, but it, that gets so many more. Like you have ten championship points from playing online. You have to go play IRL tournaments to do anything with them. You can't get your invite from <laughs> it, right? Because like you cap so, yeah. at you'd cap at 120 championship I don't know that it should be tied to the 100. ladder necessarily or like more tournaments right because like Something a ladder cool. thing is going to reward unless they I mean they would have to obviously make it more of a ranked system than what they have now because what they have yeah. now is not really a ranked system but you have to know. be like an actual elo based ranked system where if you climb high enough you don't have to be grinding every single day I think Hearthstone did it really well I mean there was still some like funky stuff with like end of month Hearthstone grinding though but you could generally like grind up to top 100 and feel safe stuff like that so um something like that in in the in the Pokemon space would be cool not just not to actually get an invite but just to get more people involved with oh I have these championship points now because I placed top X in the ranked ladder in July and now let's mm -hmm. do something with that right but yeah I do think there I do think I think if you win a major tournament I mean we should probably just tie special events in with the regionals even if there's sometimes like you know 70 person special events I don't personally consider those major tournaments special events in Europe I do consider major tournaments personally because they're like 500 to 1,000 players or close to 1,000 like 700 ish um, but yeah if you win a special event if you win a regional I think you just get your invite like I think that's fine you also get the 200 points which you can use towards getting a day two invite or getting a stipend or a travel award for that quarter. You could make an argument maybe that second place at regionals, especially event, should also get their invite. I think at least first place. And then I think when you look at ICs, I think same thing with their, like I was actually like talking with my chat the other day. And I was like, to be honest, looking at like ICs, there's only four throughout the year, huge events, top four at IC should get a day two invite, top eight at IC should get your invite. Like there's, there, I don't know. I just feel like that'd be fine. I feel like that'd be cool. Um, and like the, the thing that'd be cool around like the, the regionals, if you win it, you get your invite. That like that someone's like just shows up to their one regional a year, or like you hit you have more a little couple more Hail Marys to try and get your invite at the end of the season if you haven't really played that season or just haven't had a very good season. You know, you show up to your your local regional towards the end of the season, you win it, you can still walk away with your invite, which would be cool. Yeah. I mean, I think more it would be paths. cool if like top four at an IC gave enough championship points, or top eight even at an IC gives enough championship points to get every region a world's invite, you yeah. know. I think because that gives you another Hail Mary opportunity. That's not necessarily just having to win the tournament, but like 
don't know. I mean, getting top eight in a two thousand person tournament is pretty dang hard, right? <laughs> like, and they're gonna. I mean, as long as the the event spaces, I think the AIC is gonna be huge next season. As long as the event space allows, like Europe and NAIC for sure. I think Latin America uh, will be Latin really America, big. Well. I think it's gonna be massive. Yeah, OCIC. I mean, it's just it'll just be bigger than last year's OCIC. Hopefully, they get a bigger venue if it's bigger than last year's because that place was cramped, bro. I don't not. I do not enjoy the ICs. I do not enjoy the playing experience <laughs> at ICs. It's always hot. I'm always sweating. There's too many people. Like OC, I mean, any IC last year, there's a ton of like uh, that was pretty spacious. But yeah, like I do, I'm just not a fan of. I'm getting closer and closer to the point where I'm like, can I just play from home? <laughs> this is why Azul wants a good online client that gives championship <laughs> points for the latter. He's gonna be a online. I'm tired of playing in person, bro. I'm just an I'm a I'm an old head at this point, bro. Well, I'm you might be tired with... of playing in person, but you know what? I bet you're not tired of playing with. Dragon Shield sleeves. And that means we have to take a second to thank our sponsor of the this episode of the podcast, Dragon Shield. Huge thanks as always to them for being a sponsor of our podcast. Dragon Shield makes some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products and accessories on the market, including sleeves, binders, deck boxes, and so, so much more. Azul, uh, you're not going to be playing any locals. Are you stocking up, getting ready for Worlds, figuring out what colors you want to rock at the World Championships? You're probably going to change your sleeves between every round, I would guess. <laughs> yeah, between every at Worlds, I change my sleeves instead of halfway through day one. I do it between every round to make sure. No, I, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I mean, the Blood Reds are the ones that are. I've always kind of been my go-to this season, to be honest. So maybe I'll bring the the blood. But I've been, like I said, like I said, the last couple times, I've been really loving just like the base, like the the one like greens and blue, like the base colors yep. ones have felt really, really good. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't picked any yet. Uh, one product I want to give a shout out to is their uh, shell deck boxes. Like they're like a smaller deck box. Um, I'm a big fan of smaller deck boxes. The ones like where you can have your deck box and your dice are cool. Not really for me. They do have those as well over at dragonshield.com. But I'm a big fan of like the smaller ones. And the shell ones are nice because there's like room in the deck box for extra sleeves and the deck itself. So you can kind of put it all in one. One less thing you have to carry around with you is like the, the box itself of extra sleeves. You can put the extra sleeves and your deck in the deck box together. And then you don't have to carry around that extra extra box throughout the whole tournament. So uh, big yeah. fan of big fan of those. There you go. I've got a League Cup coming up next weekend and i think i'm gonna rock uh the snow dual mats i got a sealed box of those i have not used yet so i think i'm gonna break those open give them a try and see if i like them um, but yeah thanks again to dragon shield you can find them on their website dragonshield.com slash web shop and then slash us or eu depending on where you are located and you can also of course find them at your local card shops big box retailers you can order them online amazon walmart whatever it is Check them out. Best sleeves in the business. Thanks again, Dragon Shield. All right. Let's go ahead and let's get into the guess that flavor text. It's my week to pick a card and read the flavor text on, and then Chip has to try and guess which Pokemon that card and flavor text belong to. Um, Chip gets it right without using any lifelines. He gets four points for each lifeline Chip uses. Uh, minus one point. The lifelines are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and then read an attack name on the card. Chip, are you, know you ready? Yeah, you know, I've I've had multiple people come up to me at tournaments and stuff talking about the podcast saying how normally when they listen to a podcast, they listen to it on 2x speed to just kind of get through it. But they can't listen to our podcast on 2x speed because they would never understand a word you were saying if, <laughs> if it was on 2x. 
And I really felt that when you were going through the the rules right there. But I'm tracking. I'm here. You know what? I've actually I've actually never really felt that before until I watched one of Wolfie's videos. And I was like, he's talking so fast. I have no idea what happens in the video game or anything that he's saying. (laughs) I actually felt that for the first time. And I kind of understand what people mean when they tell me like on my YouTube videos that I talk really fast and I can't quite fully keep up. They have to go back and re-listen to it sometimes. I felt that when I watched uh one of wolfie glick's videos a little while ago i don't even know why i watched it i think he just tweeted it out i was like oh, okay i'll click on this enjoy it and i start i started it and then he was talking so fast i was like i can't watch this but i don't know what he's talking about i don't know what happens in the video game so <laughs> i finally can like can i understand where people come from when they when they say that um but with that said chip you ready for this week's flavor text let's get it they paralyze prey with poison then drag them down to their lairs five miles below the surface oh man Oh, I feel like I should know this. Poison ground type is what this is. Poison rock. Is there what poison ground type is in the game? I feel like I've read this before. I mean, one of my first thoughts is like the spider Pokemon out there. Something like Ariados or Galvantula, maybe somewhere along those lines. Uh, it, yeah, it might not be poison. It could be bug, I guess. Bug rock, maybe like a crustle or a, a dwebble, but they're not really poisonous. Let me hear the flavor text one more time, Azul. They paralyze their prey with poison, then drag them down to their lairs, five miles below the surface. Isn't crustle like a poison type? I, I, the, only, the only interaction crustle I've ever had is with a bug type. I, I feel like on Unite, it has a poison attack. Am I trolling? Probably. <laughs> that's the only interaction i've had with crust well but, like pokemon get moves that are not their main well, yeah, yeah. Well, i feel like on unite you'd probably keep it kind of similar enough, it's not that yeah. it's not the video Maybe. game you know yeah i'm gonna use right, some lifelines here but the, the spider pokemon bug pokemon that's kind of where my thought process is and i'm i'm trying to think about what poison ground type exists in the game oh it's like Nido Queen and stuff like that. You wouldn't give me Nido Ran a couple weeks in a <laughs> row. No shot. Um, no shot. And let's use some lifelines here. I'm going to go with what stage the card is. Is a basic. It is a basic. So a little Spinarak, I don't think, is dragging anyone underground. Dwebble probably isn't either. Uh, hmm. Probably not Joltig. Joltig is not big enough to drag anyone underground. These are like, yeah, spider bug type things is what I'm thinking of. Let's go with what set the card is from. Phantom Forces. Oh, dude, no shot. It's Joltig, right? Night March Joltig from Phantom Forces. Oh, all right. Let me have you read an attack name. And if you say Night March, I'm going to die laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Confuse Ray. Okay, Confuse Ray. Oh, could it be Zubat? It might be Zubat. Yeah, five miles underground, but it doesn't necessarily mean into the ground. It could just be like a tunnel underground. Okay, yeah, I think this, yeah, basic Phantom Forces, Poisons, what did you say, Confuse Ray? Yeah, yeah, I think it's Zubat all day. I'm locking in the Zubat, Azul. It's not Zubat. There was a pretty big hint in the flavor text chip. I'm actually a little disappointed in you. And I feel like everyone else should be. I'm going to read it to you one more time. 
they paralyze prey with poison, then drag them down to their lairs five miles below the surface. Below the surface? Surface of water. <laughs> Bro. Oh my gosh. I thought that was pretty. I thought you'd definitely get there. And I was out thinking water type surface instantly. like of the ground. I don't think surface of the water. But that makes sense. It does make sense. It is Frillish, which I don't know how Frillish is dragging anything five miles, but apparently it does. Um, it is 72 pounds. It's actually a little bit more meaty of a fish than I thought it was. It doesn't look like it's got anything going on because it looks kind of like a, more like a jellyfish, but that's kind of crazy. I'm pretty jellyfish. sure I didn't I give you jellicent like three or four weeks ago. Yeah. Dude, I actually, when I read this one, I was like, I feel like I've, I've one of us maybe have, have done this frillish before. Or at least the flavor text of the frillish. Because this sounds really familiar. Maybe someone uh, redeemed it on my stream at some point and had me read it there. But this mm. sounded really familiar. I was like, hmm, maybe we have done this before. And then you said the same thing. You're like, this sounds familiar. Um, yeah. yeah. Just sounds like something I would have read or something <laughs> at some point. Dang, man. I'm disappointed. disappointed. All right, there's not a ton to look at here. But there's a couple new cards that we can take a look at here. I think the only real one that we need to really take a look at is the Reverum. EX. Um, I think this card is pretty sick. It's a stage one EX Pokemon 280 HP. It's got the tune-up ability. We've seen this ability before in the past. Um, not exactly tune-up, but this Pokemon may have up to four tool cards attached to it. If it loses this ability, discard you have only only one tool card remaining. And then for Metal Metal Colorless, 170 during your opponent's next turn. This Pokemon takes 30 less damage from attacks. And we got some pretty cool tools coming out for stage one Pokemon. There's one that like reduces the damage the stage one Pokemon takes by like 30 damage. You put four of those things on this bad boy. You're taking a reduced 120 damage, 150 with the attack, and you've got 280 HP. I don't know. There could be some cool stuff with the... Oh, also, like... No, never mind. We don't have Cape of Toughness anymore. But Cape of Toughness... No. Cape of Toughness that only basics. works on basics as that well. That wasn't to me. <laughs> <laughs> Big well, I'm kind of excited maybe. for this one. You could. There's some cheesy stuff you could do with this. We also have that tool that returns an energy from your opponent's Pokemon to their hand. What if you put four of those on this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they attack you with like Gardevoir or something and then yeah four energy go back and then they just refine them and them all the way next <laughs> turn <laughs> no i mean I this does seem interesting um i one of the favorite things about this and i've said this about like so many ex pokemon this generation is just the fact that it evolves from the same basic as another good stage one in the format yeah. right like there is the other regular rev of room that room. you discard an energy from your hand and draw until you have six so, like i mean that card is solid uh, no. hasn't seen play really up to this point, but it, it's like a decent card and probably will see play at some point. Um, yeah, Reverum Room is just kind of waiting for its moment for sure. Yeah. And Definitely. I mean, who knows? Maybe with Reverum Room EX, maybe we get back Metal Saucer. The combos are start coming together, right? I don't know about getting back Metal Saucer. And unfortunately, Reverum Room is coming out alongside the Charizard EX, which is definitely a good card. A um, dark type. Yeah, but except it's fire engine to play. I'm sure there'll be some fire attackers in the Charizard EX deck. Chip. Yeah, it's but, just uh, Charizard yeah, EX. Yeah, Rev Room EX is cool for sure. Rev Room EX is uh is definitely cool. I'm excited for that one. Um I'm excited for this one right here. Toad Scroll EX. Dude, the Toad Scroll is sick for sure. <laughs> is that the Sableye Killer we're all waiting for? Maybe. I mean, that thing does a lot of damage, too, you know, so. Yeah, it does hit hard. But you have to, like, give them two prize cards to even do anything, so. Maybe Gardenia finally sees a moment here with Toad Scroll. Is it its moment? Maybe? <laughs> Probably not. 
Um, let's go ahead and move on. That's really the only new card to take a look at. Like I said, not really much. Um, you want to talk about Absol, bro? Not really. If you want <laughs> to. Fine. No, it's fine. We can go on. It, yeah, it not... exists. You can look it up if you want. Absol exists. <laughs> <laughs> it is some kind of control type card. So I'm sure Sander already has like a million ideas with it. But um, we'll get more Obsidian Flame cards. I think eventually that we'll definitely bring up on the podcast as soon as they come up and give our thoughts. But uh, the only the last thing we want to mention and kind of go over here was just like the, the late night tournament uh, invitational that ha I think we've mentioned the late night series that was happening probably it started a while ago uh, and it all kind of culminated to the invitational that happened this week um, where the winner got like a trip to Japan right that was the the prize yeah. so I think we had mentioned it previously that that was a cool thing that uh, the shuffle squad was putting on and did but there was a little bit of controversy around the process of getting to the invitational with some last minute uh last minute LCQs, last chance qualifiers that popped up. Yeah. So people have been playing for points for three months, the late night event series throughout the last like six months or so people are earning these points. And then the top 64 players got an invitation to their invitational to compete for that final prize of first place, getting a trip to Japan. And then, Late night events did decide to run a last chance qualifier, which I think is overall a good thing. They decided to run two last chance qualifiers, though. Um, but I think it's cool, like to give people just one last shot, you know, get yourself a chance to get in. I think that they maybe let too many people in, though. And that's kind of been the point. thing that's been echoed, I think, online. And, you know, late night events made a statement about this. We'll talk all about both sides of the story before and after all these things. But uh, they ran two last chance qualifiers and their plan was to let 16 players from each LCQ into the invitational. So you're getting 32 players from the LCQs and then 64 players for qualifying from the invitational. It's probably like a little bit more disproportional than it should be at the start there. Um, 64 and then the 32 for people who just like played one tournament versus 64 people who grinded for six months to get to this point. I think it maybe should be something more like 64 players and then like the top two. eight or top four from each of the two tournaments. Probably just more the like top to, four. Even just, or the, just winner, the winner, to be honest. Yeah, like the top two or something maybe. Or even just, yeah, even just the winner, I think would have been like reasonable. I mean, even the top eight would have been more reasonable. But even that, that's kind of a lot to yeah. all of a sudden be like, because like we saw a lot of like top level players show up to these LCQs who had not been grinding these yeah. uh, tournaments the whole season, you know? So it kind of feels a little bit, disingenuous to have you know this perspective or this uh idea out there that you know you to in order to play this invitational you know you gotta you have to be the people who put in the time and grind these these weekly tournaments to to get your spot at the invitational and then all of a sudden last minute even i was considering playing in the the second one because the first one was a little bit too early for me i was considering playing in the second one. i was like i don't know it was like getting your <laughs> trip to japan paid for uh you know that's pretty cool like and it's like a pretty decent shot of getting into the invitational because it was the top 32 actually in the end yeah from each of the and, lcqs and that was the thing if each of the event got to more than 320 masters they decided to increase the players advancing to 32 for each event so that officially means that you're having as many players who played for months who qualified through their placements in your late night series throughout the last several months or whatever it is you're having the same number of those players as you are having players who just qualified for playing in one tournament. And people, you know, kind of spoke out about this a little bit. There was a bit of discussion about it. I think one of the biggest ones I saw was Jared Grimes tweeting, saying, I think it's been said before, but 
you shouldn't have last chance qualifiers that qualifies 64 people for the tournament that already has 64 people. Half the tournament is now people who went six and two or sorry, seven and two on a random Friday. The point system some of them. doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And it does make it feel like you're there's way less weight on the tournaments. They almost don't matter. Right. It's like, why did I spend all this time the last six months playing these tournaments when I could have just played him one at the end of the year? Um, and yeah, late exactly night right. did like go ahead. Amount of players that probably would have been grinding these events just being, oh, I'll just show up at the last the last couple of LCQs and just attempt it there yeah. would have been probably pretty high to be honest. So like I said, it feels disingenuous for the initial information of how to qualify for the invitational being out there, and then all of a sudden these L LCQs pop up last minute, and the LCQs, um, it definitely feels like the idea of them and the amount of players they allowed through was to try and create hype so more people would play in the tournaments at the expense of the loyalty of your weekly tournament grinders or the yeah. loyalty of the, the trust trust and loyalty and, and late night events did put out a statement regarding the situation saying a few members have been vocal about the addition of lcq spots for the late night tcg we understand your frustrations we'll use this information in future seasons with many struggles between switching from ptcgo to live cancellations and more we always wanted to add a few spots for the invitational do we add too many that is definitely a possibility but we're going off less than 10 percent of the late night lcq advancing and we could have looked at other approaches this isn't a perfect system and we don't think ours is perfect either we will take all constructive feedback and use it towards running better events and series going forward. Congratulations to those who have earned spots to the Invitational and wish you all the best of luck. And they also ask if anyone is looking to help in the future, reach out. Um, so anyway, I think this is a good statement overall. I mean, and I can't, they've had to deal with so much moving from TCGO yeah. to TCG Live, man. Like so many, I, I, I've seen Zach on Twitter multiple times being like, we've got to cancel the tournament tonight because this random card is bugged or people can't log in and can't add new friends and stuff like that. Like they've had to deal with so much. So I understand wanting to give maybe a few more than normal spots to your last chance qualifier, but I do still think overall 64 spots. Yeah. Is way too much, <laughs> way too much. And like they say 10%, but 10% can be a lot or it can be a little right. Yeah. Depending on the, the situation. Like if you, I don't know if you just like <clears throat> earned 10% more for your whole life, you know, that's a lot. <laughs> like, so depending on the situation, 10% is a lot or a little the way they, and I actually, to be honest, I don't love this statement. I wish they would just own it and just be like, we messed up. Like we messed up. We're sorry. We'll do better in the future. Instead of they like kind of like deflecting. Yeah. Not, I, I would even say deflecting. They just kind of, they basically said we messed up in way more words that didn't actually say we messed up. I would love it if they just said, yo, we messed up sorry we'll do better in the future um we want to do better in the future we still I mean, especially if they plan on still doing this i don't know if they plan on doing more late night series moving forward i assume so but who knows um but yeah just just own it just say we messed up if you messed up you, everyone knows you messed up you know you messed up just say you messed up you know just own it in that kind of sense i think a lot of people would have a lot more respect um for you for when people are a lot more honest and straightforward a lot more people have respect for that than trying to like deflect or kind of you know dance around the issue at hand um and you maybe are trying you maybe uh, I can't really think of a nice way. You maybe fool some people with it, but you know the the people who like understand what's going on, what's happening, aren't going to be fooled by you kind of dancing around the situation. Just own it. Say you messed up. Move on. Right? No one's going to hold anything against you. It's not the end of the world. It's just a Pokemon tournament series, but a mistake is a mistake, and it's better to own it than not. Um. So, so yeah. And this is in this situation. Yeah, ten percent is definitely a lot. 
not a little. It can be both. <laughs> yeah. But um, let's go ahead and let's take a look at the results because this is kind of the biggest tournament for online do, tournaments in a while, right? I just want to say one more thing real quick. Like, oh, I'm glad that I'm thankful that there are the people willing to run these tournaments and stuff like that because I think yeah. it's good for the game that there are these online events. People can hop in and play pretty much any time in the late night series has definitely become the largest in the premier online tournament series. So I'm glad for that. And yeah, and it sounds like they're willing to take the constructive feedback from their statement, but I do agree. Yeah. Like they definitely could have just owned it a bit more for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'd love to see them keep doing it. They do a great service to the community by uh, running the tournaments, but you know, uh, can always do better or more, especially in the situation. But yeah, let's take a look at those results from the, the end, uh, the end of the run in the invitational. On a deck that just keeps on winning events the last few months, huh, Azul? <laughs> Fusion Mew does get the dub, and <laughs> Anthony Zhang gets the free trip to World. So congratulations to Anthony, and it was with that Fusion Mew. And this is, you know, pretty similar to the, you know, that list from Japan that's been very popular, kind of feels similar to what a lot of people have been playing in their Fusion Mew. I guess the heavier trekking shoes is kind of the, the questionable yeah. thing here that is that's a little like out of the ordinary, but... The core of the deck is the same. Ice Q, Lost Cities, the 2-2-2 two, two, two supporter splits. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine many people had Spiritomb in their in their decks, right? Like, I can't imagine many people had that in their list. Even stuff like the Lugia decks. I know there's only one Pats at the Peak in here, but Mew is pretty good at finding cards when it wants to see a card, right? Mew is pretty good at being like, I want this card this turn. I'm going to go get that card this turn or make this play happen. Um, so, you know, that... Turn one, path to the peak, like going second to try and sh uh, slow down Lugias. There was two Lugias in top eight. Actually, one of the Lugias in the top eight did have the bunk blue. One of them didn't. But you're looking at the the Guardian list. I don't think either Guardian list played Spirit Tomb, so no Spirit Tombs. And it is unbanned on TCG Live. You can play it on TCG Live now. Yeah, for anyone who didn't get the memo <laughs> yeah. and played in the tournament a little bit late, but uh, and there was also like an Urshifu, right? Urshifu has been like the after Cyrus took down NAIC, more people playing that Urshifu deck, uh, and Arceus decks have been pretty popular. Matchup as well so yeah i don't know maybe it is uh and also yeah i'm looking at the arcus like no spirit tomb everyone cut the spirit tombs and anthony was like all right i'm rolling up with the mew because um, everyone was playing the spirit tombs and the drapions you know at naic and most recently so it kind of makes sense that maybe it was it's kind of like in the the flow chart of tech from you don't tech from you uh and it was in the it's in the flow chart of or we're in the we're in the period of time for you to get a dub i feel like yeah it didn't it did, it did. Only played against two Gardevoir. Played against a lot of the decks, though, that we mentioned. Like, two Urshifu through this. A bunch of the Arceus decks, which it usually has a good matchup against. Can It looks like it was a tie against the Lugia. Only two Gardevoir, and it was 2-0 against the Gardevoir, so. Yeah, I'm checking, like, most of these Arceus lists. Like, none of the Arceus have the <laughs> have the Spear Tomb. Yeah. Like, most people got, oh, there's one in 10th place. Gabe Shumway did have... Uh, the spirit tomb in there, so there's still some, but way less than I think when you compare it to something like tournaments pre NAIC or NAIC itself. A lot of spirit tomb in general there, so yeah. Um, I don't think this is gonna have like too big of an impact. Like none of these. Someone asked me that in my chat, like how big of an impact will NAIC, you know, the biggest tournament of the year before Worlds, how big will that tournament have on? Will that tournament's meta impact have on Worlds? And I was like, probably not too much. Like we're a month away. A month separation is a long time, I feel like, between major tournaments, right? I mean, I think so. it's, I think it'll definitely have an impact. Like, I mean, that's like well, yeah, what people Arceus... are referencing, right? Like, well, yeah, but like to an extent, but like the meta, I feel like is already evolving and 
and changing. Like I think I think it did give a little bit of a spotlight to, to Arceus decks, but mm-hmm. besides well, that, I think I, you like, have I, to weigh how much of an impact the online events actually have. Because like, let's be real, like cups and challenges is probably going to have minimal impact, right? Besides individuals testing out their own decks, like it'll have a small impact on each individual who's like just trying to tweak their own list, right? Or figure sure. out what decks they like. Um, but like on overall meta share cups and challenges, not going to have an impact. So it's like how much of an impact are online events going to have? I would say most of them, not too much, maybe a little bit stuff like this, maybe a little bit more because there's something on the line. So better players are competing in it. Right. Um, people are try harding. People are, yeah, definitely much more willing to try hard for this than just a random, whatever online event. Um, but other than that, like, I mean, I mean, what was the biggest tournament that had an impact on our NAIC meta? It was the Japan Championships that happened a month before, right? Because that was the event that had, you know, the most results from the format we were going to be playing. So, like, did that have an impact? There was a lot of Tina, Lost on Tina, doing pretty well at that tournament. I don't think anyone really played Lost on Tina at NAIC. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't like. I think that's like that amount of time. Like, sure, a lot of people copied the Guardi list that did really well there as starting points, but we might have got there anyways. Like, that's like the biggest takeaway I would say from the tournament in japan but there was Lawson did really well at that tournament in japan but then you look at naic and we still had one in top eight and there were still some in like the top 16 top 32 but like there's no Lawson tina anywhere right um, and you'd even could even argue that the meta was better for Lawson tina because there were so many arceus decks and i think Lawson tina does generally match up pretty well into the arceus decks um because you can walk away with those big one hit ko's or even up against like the arceus around on umbreon you know you can save life first and then go into your uh tina or tina can use you know the, the v-star power you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. i'm just saying like I think like a month break between major tournaments is a, a big enough time for people to figure out new ways and strategies to combat decks and kind of have it be fresh going into a new tournament. Um, especially with like this being the first major tournament in like NIC being the first major tournament in this format. I think there's still a lot, a lot of players are going to walk away from NIC and sure there's stuff to like take away and like learn from it, but it's not like you look at like back-to-back regionals and it's like, if you just dominated a tournament, like, like a good a good example of that of would be uh Dallas regionals this year, right? Mew dominated the tournament before, did super well. And then there was an insane amount of Drapion at uh or did Mew had been doing really well, and there's just an insane amount of Drapion like two weeks later or a week later at Dallas. Um so like that's a good example of like a previous tournament's meta impacting the future tournaments meta in an actual like meta changing way more in uh more instantly right but if you had waited like a month between those tournaments there's probably not as much stripe on at all at at the texas was it dallas it was dallas i think whatever arlington yeah there's probably not as much um it's probably not as much drapey on at arlington right that's what i'm saying like it's not gonna have zero impact i think there's a bigger spotlight on arceus deck specifically post naic but like yeah there's not like a huge driving force behind like the results here like like the results of this much spirit being played at naic i think because of how much time there is between NASC and Worlds, there's actually a higher likelihood of more Mew being played at Worlds now. Um, because I think there's now there's a decent, a, a better chance that people are going to, more people are going to cut their cut their spirit tombs by the time Worlds comes around. Yeah. I think people are going to put a little bit less thought process if Worlds was the week after NASC. People are running it back with the spirit tombs, I feel like. No, yeah, that makes sense. Like, the, there's not been enough time for people to get off the, the spirit tomb. But then you have, like, stuff like this where... You know, Mew is still winning tournaments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it still has an impact. Um, it definitely has an impact. I'm just saying it's like not like 
there's a lot of time there's a lot of time a yeah. month is no, a long time yeah. <laughs> a month is a long time for sure a long time um, but one thing from NAIC, and I think we're seeing that here in this late night tournament as well, is like there's definitely way more Arceus, I think, on the map than yeah, that's what, what yeah, people yeah. would have expected going into NAIC. Uh, obviously, Ian got second with it. Um, we see here even I, I'm assuming Bodie here is probably Bodie Robinson, the senior who got um, one who who won. Yeah, who won in um, NAIC and seniors with probably the same deck. Uh, yeah, Arceus just probably going to be reasonably popular. Uh, it always does. It has felt like just the Arceus variance. Just looking at the way tournaments have been over the last year, uh, it feels like Arceus is always just way more popular in North America than it is anywhere else in the world. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I wonder yeah, if I think we'll see well, how we'll see that translate to uh, worlds in Japan. I think it is. I feel like every time I tune into streams in Japan, there's a lot of Arceus. They just don't do well. There's a lot of Arceus that's played in Japan. Whenever I tune into the streams throughout normal Swiss rounds, I, especially the early rounds, there's a lot of Arceus. They just, I guess they just, they just never do well though over in Japan and Europe. Yeah. Europe doesn't play Arceus very much. So that is like, there's a little bit of difference there. Um, actually, like, cause you mentioned that I did want to kind of talk on this comment. Someone made, I saw someone tweet out after, of course, Arceus did really well at NAIC. It's like, why are people always hating on Arceus? When are people going to finally give it the respect it deserves? When I saw that comment, I've seen people make these kind of comments in the past, right? Of like, you know, why, why, why aren't people saying my deck is good? It's like, why do you care? And if you actually think it's that good and it is that good, why do you want everyone to know your deck is that good? Why don't you take advantage of the fact that no one respects your deck and no one's teching for it or trying to learn how to beat it and go win with it because no one's respecting it, right? If it is that good. I always found that to be weird that people like want everyone else to think their deck or this deck or that deck is good or to respect it. But like for me personally, if I thought, uh Arceus was really really good I would want everyone to think the card sucks because that's just good for me that means I'm going to be able to it's that much easier for me to win tournaments if people think my deck sucks I, don't know, I thought I just thought of that because I remembered because we're talking about Arceus I remember seeing that comment after NAIC it's like when are people finally gonna put some respect on on Arceus or something along those lines it's like also you really Arceus, think it's that good Arceus by the way second highest earning deck of all time at least in the cash era according to Limitless so I don't think anyone's not putting respect on Arceus's name, to be honest. Well, I mean, a lot of people. I, I think it's fair. Like, I, I haven't been talking. I've, I've talked pretty uh, poorly of Arceus in general recently. I, I think, I think, we, I think I even said though most recently going towards NAC. I thought that like, Arctur Umbreon was like pretty solid. Yeah. Um, other deck was like pretty good. We uh, said it overall. was the best way to play Arceus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do look at decks sometimes that way, or like the general consensus, like overall in the community is like. This deck isn't as good as that, but I, but I just don't think that should be like a reason for people to be like. <laughs> it feel like people take it like personal. It's like that's just an advantage for you if you think the deck's that good, and it actually is. And that's just an advantage for you that people think your deck's not good. Are there any other standout decks to you in the top eight, or even in you know the top sixteen or so spots, or like any players who played something specific that sticks out to you? Like we see plenty of like day two players competing in this not really everything looks about like everything looks uh, lugia doing so well was a little bit not like a surprise but like i guess that was the biggest thing that stood out to me two lugias in the top eight lugia's like i feel like lugia's okay right now the guardian matchup is just kind of rough uh overall temple of sino plus iono is pretty good um but plus yeah nothing spiritum. really uh well oh yeah plus spiritum yeah plus spiritum as well like luminine is a pretty big part of lugia functioning game to game not every game 
But a decent amount of games you're using Lumini in turn one, turn two to get and the it's burn also like research. one of your best outs off of Iono Temple, right? Because yeah. if they Iono Temple you and you just go Luminion for research, like you've got decent odds to find one of your stadiums still. That that is probably the reason that Luke did a little bit better though. Everyone was cutting Spirit Tomb, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely helps. And it, it is kind of just a collateral as well. Like it's like Lugia didn't do anything wrong. Everyone just hates Mew, so <laughs> it just gets collateraled in the big in that time. in that fray. Um, but yeah, I mean, nothing else here that I think really stands out to me. Like Arctina looks like it did maybe was a little bit more popular than Arc Umbreon, at least like at the top half. But it's kind of split still. There's also one person, Inferno Hippo, playing the Flying Pikachu. Umbreon deck, the the Katron deck, but also had an Aerodactyl V Star in here, so people are just going crazy <laughs> with their Arceus stuff. Um, As usual, but that kind one of seems sparse like on the Gardevoir up at the top, to be honest. And yeah, I mean, if you scroll what, down, you see eight? a lot more clumping of Gardevoirs. I feel like. Um, I don't, I don't know. know. It's, it's still pretty sparse. Yeah, it's still throughout. it's pretty even. I mean, what was the metagame like overall? Look like Guardy was the number one most played deck, only by one percent or one point six percent over Lost Box. Um, and then, yeah, Lugia, 7% under that, 7.4. Yeah. I mean, also, Tina's always about that that spot there, though. I don't know why, but it is. <laughs> Definitely a is. lot of Urshifu and Tillian. Yeah, that, actually, to be honest, the deck that's been struggling recently for how much it's been played is Lost Box. That's like the deck that has really been coming up a little bit short for its its play rate. Yeah. I think like I mean there's kind of a accepted 34 38% list that people are playing it feels like with Lost Box like within five or six cards for the most part Pretty it's close. something pretty similar to this. This one's a bit more turbo I guess with the trekking shoes, the shoes. in here. Yeah. Got the shoes on. <clears throat> yeah. I definitely recommend stops over artisan for anyone who's out there. Also uh, I'm not a big fan of shoes in general. P put a ninth energy in. Anyone who's not like eight energy is so bad in Lost Box. That's like it feels <laughs> terrible. Put your. Ninth Have you energy ever used in. Radiant Greninja if you're only playing eight energy? <laughs> you just don't. You just don't do anything with eight energy. Yeah, eight energy was like the big the thing that felt felt the worst at Fresno for sure. The ninth, it's 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 funny. Like, and a lot of like deck like testing and like deckless changes come kind of from feeling. But the the difference in eight to nine energy in Lost Box, you feel it so much. It's insane. Um, I think you even like you theoretically want ten. It's just hard to get the tenth in there. But yeah, put your put your ninth energy back in your deck, please. <clears throat> well, Azul, I think that's gonna do it for our podcast this week. At least the main part. We've got the bonus episode coming up exclusively to Patreon in just a moment. In the meantime, though, thanks so much to everyone for listening. If you enjoyed, please be sure to leave us a rating, a review, follow us subscribe leave a comment you know all those good things help tickle that algorithm and make it <laughs> do good things for us. i don't know where this analogy is going thanks so much for the support all right, get us out of here Chip, before you go too far and you get us monetized <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i just start talking and i don't know i didn't plan it out before i opened you just my need mouth to stop. so <laughs> just need to stop uh you want to stay connected with us the best place to do it is over on twitter Maybe not for long, though. Maybe it'll be threads soon. I don't know about that. <laughs> you follow me at Chip Ritchie Azul at Azul underscore GG. And you can follow the podcast at Uncommon underscore Energy. Thanks for the support. As always, uh, can you catch us here every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern? And uh, 
Yeah, have a good one. We're getting into the bonus episode over on the Patreon.